0: If you love the Word of God, somebody say amen. The Word of God is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. The Bible says that everything in this world will fade. Did you know that? Do you know that your job will go away, your 401k? Do you know that everything you hold dear, even your family, Aunt Mima, little grandmama, they're all going away. You're going away. How many understand that? But the Bible says the Word of God endures forever. The Word of God, what you're going to read right now, will endure forever and ever and ever. And so James chapter 2 today is going to teach us on the lesson of faith and works. So put that at the top of your title, faith and works. Coming out of the book of James, if you ever miss a message, you can go to the website and you can hear the series. We preached on chapter 1 last week, now we're in chapter 2. James is the brother of Jude and the half-brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the New Testament church. You can read about him in the book of Acts, what he was significant and well-known for is that he helped Jewish believers get along with Gentile believers. He's famous for his letter in the book of Acts where he told Gentile believers that they didn't have to be circumcised and have dietary laws to be a part of the body of Christ. So James had an understanding of Jewish cultures and customs, and he also understood what God was going to do among the nations. We learned in chapter 1, verse 1, that he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered throughout the nations. And so his primary audience in this letter are the Jewish believers. Now, you've got to remember that the Jewish believers were struggling with their faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because they expected Jesus to be their Messiah, to be like David, and to have a military war and conquer the world and make Jerusalem the capital of the world. And so when Jesus came, he came as a suffering servant. He died upon the cross. And this just really flipped the script on the Jewish mind. They're like, this doesn't make any sense. Jesus, our Messiah, is not supposed to die. He's supposed to be an eternal king. Jesus is not supposed to bring in Gentiles. Jews are the chosen race and Jerusalem is supposed to be the center of the world. But you see, what the Jewish people did is they took the Old Testament scriptures of Armageddon, and heaven on earth, and they skipped all of the scriptures in the middle of Jesus Christ saving the Gentiles in the world. Now, how many of you are happy today that Jesus died also for non-Jewish people? Amen. Aren't you glad that you're in the kingdom of God? Amen. And so what James is trying to do now is he's trying to speak to these people and explain to them, okay, Jesus, God in the flesh, was the Messiah, and he is going to have a reigning kingdom, and he will destroy the world and one day, and Jerusalem will be the center of the world one day, but it's not going to happen until all the world hears the gospel. Are you with me? So now in chapter two, what he's going to begin to explain is how to act in church and how to complete the Christian life by having faith and having works. Everybody say faith and works. Somebody say works without faith is dead. Amen. Come on, say it one more time. Works without faith is, now you say it. one, two, three. Now, faith without works is dead. I messed it up. Faith without works is dead. One, two, three. Faith Faith without works is dead. Amen, amen. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, do not show favoritism. So right here, James is now beginning to teach us that there's favoritism in the church, and it ought not be. There should be no favoritism in the church. I love the way he talks about it. He says, you see a rich man, and you get all excited. You get giddy. Now, come on, we can relate to this. Let's say you're working in a, a business where you have to do sales, right? And let's say you're selling cell phones or something, and you see somebody come up in a Hummer, and you see this guy walking out with gold and jewels. I mean, you get excited. You're like, I'm going to sell him the best phone. And then all of a sudden, you see that homeless guy come in, hello, and he's smelly, and he's asking to use your bathroom. You're just like, come on, go over there. But when that the guy in the Hummer comes in, you're like, how are you doing, sir? My name's Gary. I'm here to help you. What can I do for you? You want some water? You want something? You want my firstborn child? Here you go. I just want you to buy something. I need your money. Are y'all with me? And and, and we, we do that unintentionally in the business world. People understand who's got money and who doesn't. I guarantee you if most of us showed up right now at a Lexus dealer, people would know who could afford that and who couldn't. I mean, it's wrong judgment, the Bible says, but they know how to spot all that. That guy ain't wearing the right stuff. He don't have the right clothes on. Now listen to the problems James is saying. That was happening in the church. He was saying rich people were coming in, and the ushers at the door who were greeting them, Oh, how you doing, sir? Great to see you here. You're so loved. Can I walk your children to the children's church? And then they would see a poor homeless man and just be like, Yeah, there you go. There's the church. Sit down. They'd just find a seat anywhere. God forbid that ever happens here. You see, as we're reading this, we need to apply these lessons to our life. What is James telling us here? If we do that, we're discriminating, and the Bible says we become judges with evil thoughts. So here's the deal. Number one, dress code in the church is appropriate for what you feel comfortable in. Let's just establish that right there. You might say, Pastor, well, it doesn't say that in the Word of God right there. Well, it doesn't say you have to wear a suit either, okay? So let me just interpret this for you. If you want to wear a suit, God bless you. If you want to wear a dress, God bless you. But listen, we're not going to applaud you and just, you know, put on a, you know, like you're putting on a fashion, show. oh, God bless you, sister. Look what you're wearing today. Oh, is that Armani? Like this is the red carpet. Like as you're coming to pray, you're just like sacheting down the thing. Then you're like, you stop, hallelujah, and then you just go back and we're like, yes, there she's wearing her Armani outfit with her Dolce & Gabbani shoes. She has done that. Oh, and there he comes wearing his Armani suit. Isn't he looking good today? So let me just help you out with some practical things of how we can apply this message to us right here. You don't have to come rich and you don't have to come poor. Just come what you feel comfortable in and what is appropriate for church. Amen. You might say, I want to wear my best outfit. Okay, wonderful. Well, if you have suits, if you're in the business world and you want to wear your best outfit, that's wonderful. But most people don't work in corporate America wearing suits, okay? I don't work in corporate America. This is my best outfit. Are you listening to me? This is it right here. And the only reason why I have a suit is because i got to go to uh, funerals and to marriages, amen, because they don't want me showing up like this. So when I marry and bury, that's when i got to put on uh, another outfit. Are you with me? But this is how I dress. This is as good as it gets. Here it is. Okay? Now, ask yourself this question. Am I trying to impress people with the way I dress, with the jewelry that I have? Do you know that in India, even among the Christians, to just have one piece of jewelry sometimes is considered vain? They can look at you and say, well, look, you got a ring on. I'm serious. The pastors don't even have rings. It's not part of their tradition there. Of course they love their wife. Of course they're going to die for her. They don't need a $500,000 piece of jewelry to prove it. And in some parts of India where Brother Glenn goes and preaches, a man that's our friend of this church, he says he even has to take off his wedding ring so he doesn't offend the people. You see, my friends, it's not about... Um, us trying to impress the people we're coming to it's about just fitting in and being comfortable culturally where you are in our culture if women wear pants and it's not considered to be a prostitute like it was in the bible days it's okay to wear pants are you listening to me but back then if a woman would dress that way and wear braids in her hair put on makeup they would think that woman was a prostitute but that doesn't mean today in america women who wear braids and jeans and makeup are prostitutes hello somebody Okay, let's look at the other thing. How about helping the poor? How about all of us asking ourselves this question? Do I try to meet everybody in the church even if they're different than me? Because, you know, it's, it's not always common that a homeless person will walk off the street into our church, but it does happen. And I think we do well with that. Praise God. People will shake their hand. They'll say the cafe is there for you as well. But let me make this a little more applicable to you. When you come to church, do you just stay in your little group and just say, I know these four people, they're my age, they're my culture, here we go, this is my friend's. Or are you able to walk around the whole church and hang out with the young people, shake their hand and say, how you guys do it? Are you able to meet somebody that might be older if you're young and respect them? You see, are we segregating ourselves or are we open to everybody? You see, the Bible says don't be judges with evil intents. You may look at a young person and you may think, well, I don't have anything in common with them. How do you know you haven't talked to them? Young people, you may look at an adult and and you might look at them being all sophisticated like David Carrasco. And you might say, I can't talk to him about what's going on in my life. Yes, you can. He'll understand. Give him a chance. Amen. Amen. He is a handsome man, but he also understands what it's like to be a teenager. And, you know, we need to have relationships in the church where we're not judging one another. So everybody in your mind, do what we do like on a chalkboard as teachers. Just clear the slate and give everybody a fresh chance today. Every time you come to church, say, you know what? I'm not going to favor a rich person. I'm not going to put down a poor person. I'm not going to stick within just my clique. I'm not going to dress to impress. I'm just going to be comfortable. I'm going to be myself, and I'm going to meet other people and love God together. Amen? That's the lesson from that passage. Now let's keep going. Verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised for those who love him? But you insult the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name to whom you belong? Now listen to what's going on here. This is unbelievable, but I can relate to this as a pastor because I've seen this in the church. So take, for example, this church has poor people come in, and they're telling them sit on the floor. They're telling them stand in the back because they smell, but they're favoring the rich people. And then James says, hello, guys, who's the ones taking you to court? Who's the one flogging you in the town square? It's the rich people. So why are you putting down the poor when the poor ones are actually the ones listening to the message? And you know what? I got a revelation of this as I was studying this passage. When we go to Ohio Park, listen, Ohio Park, predominantly African-American, and it's low income, a lot of problems are going on out there. A lot of drugs on the corners, various things. Well, when we go out there, people will say to us, oh, that's Ohio Park. There's drug dealers. And I'm like, yes, I know. That's why I'm going. They're like, it's a bad neighborhood. I'm like, yes, that's that's why I'm there. So anyways, we're out there and, and we're preaching. And you know what? That is the safest place for me to be. I'm not saying it's a safe place for a drug dealer or for always for kids to be on corners, you know, trying to do good, because it, it can be, you know, a bad place for that. But for me as a preacher, it's the safest place I can ever be. People respect me. Like I can see somebody walking down the street, and I can be like, hey, what's up, man? And he'll be like, what's up? And I can be like, come on over here, I want to talk to you. And he will cross the street. He'll come right over to me, and I'll preach to him about Jesus. I'm being I'm being honest with you. We'll knock on the doors, and, man, people will receive us. We'll be on the porches. And, and, and you just feel like, man, these people actually like us. They care about us. But then we'll go out to Wicker Park. We'll go out to Belmont and Clark, and we'll meet the upper class, the rich. And most of the time it is predominantly white. It's predominantly white. And we'll go out there, and you can't even get them to stop. They they, they will just blow you off. They will treat you like you are an idiot. I have been out there in so many conversations, and and, and young kids, I want to say punk kids, but Lord help me. These little kids, like with their freshman class, like comparative religion study, want to challenge me in the Bible. And I'm not trying to explain to them, I'm learning it in the original language, trust me, I understand a few things here. And they're just like in my face, you don't understand. And you know what's going on? We can think to ourselves when we're building a church, I want rich people because rich people have money. I want people who have nice cars. But you know what? Those are the ones that oppress us. We should say, God, if you're going to give us, let's start with the poor because the poor will actually have faith in you and they'll listen to us when we preach to them. Now, you might say, Pastor, I'm not poor. Does God God love me? Yes, he does. Amen? Ain't nothing wrong with being rich. nothing wrong with not being poor. Of course, we want to have something. But listen to what James is saying. He says the poor can be rich in faith. We ask missionaries right now, why is Africa seeing revival? Why is Africa doing so much for God? You know why? They have nothing. You know, they have no economy. They don't have 40 hours a week that they're going to to work a job. So when the pastor says, let's have a prayer, I mean, they all show up on Tuesday morning at 4.15 because they don't have to go to work. And guess what? They don't have health care. So when their daughter gets sick, they don't have the ability to take them to a hospital. They bring them to church. God, heal my daughter. Now, you might say to yourself, well, pastor, I have 40 uh, hours a week job. I have health care. Let me ask you a question. Do you have faith? You see, I would, if you gave me a choice, come on somebody, I would rather have faith than have money. And we need to learn that lesson, not to become so dependent upon our money, acting like this can buy us everything. It can't. We know the Beatles said it can't buy us love. That ain't going to work. Amen. You don't want to marry for money because the money's not going to make you happy. Another thing, it can't buy you peace in your heart. Can't buy you salvation. It can't buy you, you know, real relationships with people. And it certainly will not bless you because blessings are not just material things. I don't know how this happened in the eighties, but somehow a Christian televangelists traded the word blessing for material things. So every time we would say, I'm blessed, what did that mean? I just got paid you know uh, I'm blessed what does that mean I just got a new car well how about being blessed with the car broke down with two thousand dollar credit card and still saying I'm blessed because God is on my side amen now of course God don't want you poor no more amen God God wants to take care of you but it's bless his blessing is more than a material thing it's his favor on your life that will follow you through every and all situations so here's the challenge for us rich Americans because we are compared to the world Here's the challenge. Be rich in faith. You, you want to have money? You want to be blessed? We want you to be blessed. Amen. I want millionaires to come to this church and say, I believe in this vision. Hallelujah. But you know what? Be rich in faith. Never let your money, never let your 401k, never let your education take away your dependence on God. Amen. We're getting the lesson. Look at your neighbor and say, we're getting it. Come on, we just reading the Bible verse by verse. Now let's go to verse 8, please. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Everybody say, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's say one more time. Love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you. You're doing right if you do that. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery and do not commit uh, but commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Everybody say lawbreaker. Look at the lesson he throws in right here He says you know what you could be doing good in everything in your life But but if you're showing favoritism, you have bitterness and wrong judgment. You are a lawbreaker and you're going to miss God Isn't that a fearful thought that God's going to judge us by the way we treat people He really meant what he said love your neighbor as yourself That means if we don't do that, we're in trouble now, think of this. Imagine a tow truck is pulling a car out of a ditch, and it's, it's putting a lot of tension on that chain, and there's ten links that are held, held together going one to the next all the way to the car. Let's imagine one of those links break. The chain is broken. Am I right? The car can no longer be towed. It doesn't matter if the first link breaks, or the third one, the fifth one, the tenth one. When one of those links break, the car will no longer be towed. It's left in the ditch. Listen to me. God said your way to get here to heaven and to do the right thing is to keep the commands. And you might say, hey, man, I don't murder. I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. But listen, if you're bitter in your heart, you're breaking a command. You're not going to go very far. If you're in your heart racist towards people, he as he's giving... In this uh, situation, your chain will break, and God will look at you as a lawbreaker. So here's what I want to challenge everyone here to do. Keep all the Lord's commands. Amen? Keep the Lord's command that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Keep the Lord's command where it says, do not murder. James, or a book of Matthew, chapter 5, says that murder in the heart is to be angry without cause. Jesus said, if you are angry in your heart without cause, it's the same as murder. So guard your heart towards anger without cause. Jesus also said, adultery of the heart is to lust after a woman in your heart and want to have uh, marital affairs with her when you're not married. Everybody say Adultery. So the Bible says, do not commit murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not blaspheme the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ is his name to be praised, not blaspheme to put on the end of sentences. The Bible says that you are to obey your parents. All the young people say, amen. Amen. All the young people say, amen. Now all the parents say, "Amen." amen. These are the commandments. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I don't steal. I don't murder. I'm pretty good. But how are they doing on the other things? How are they loving people? Ask yourself that question today. Do I love the people around me as I love myself? Wow, that's a big thing to live up to, right? Because we love ourselves kind of a lot, don't we? I mean, we do. We do. I mean, we look at the mirror and we work with all of our hair and our clothes and we treat ourselves out to vacations and we make sure that we have all the right friends and we make sure that our car is running nice and we take care of all the bills that we got paid. I mean, we love ourselves, don't we? And some of us who don't, God wants you to help you to love yourself because there's nothing wrong with loving yourself because if you don't love yourself, you can't love people as yourself. It doesn't say hate people as you hate yourself. Hello? But I ask yourself this question, do I love others the way I love myself? Now, of course, when we think of that standard, it's always an ever-reaching higher standard, meaning I can reach this high today on that and go, God, I'm going to give you my all. Then maybe next week I might learn a little bit more about how to love people. Then I'll reach a little bit higher. It's an ever-reaching higher standard. Are you with me? But God is saying you always have to be reaching for it. If there's a time in your life when you say, I'll let somebody be mistreated so I can be exalted, the Bible says you're going to break a command right there and your chain is going to break, and you're going to be called a lawbreaker, and it doesn't matter if you're not a Charles Manson or a Columbine school shooter, and it doesn't matter if you're not a rapist, because that alone will break the chain. Look at your neighbor and say, I love you as I love myself. Come on, come on, tell somebody, say, I love you as I love myself. It may sound weird, but it's biblical. Hallelujah. Look at verse 12 now as James begins to wrap up this section on favoritism. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. You are going to be judged. Everybody say, I'm going to be judged. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And here's where we get into the biggest discussion of um, church in general. And that is people forgiving themselves and being forgiven. People forgiving others and forgiving themselves, being forgiven of God. Everybody say forgiveness. This idea of forgiveness is where everything is held together. starts with you getting forgiven by God. You cannot go to heaven unless God's mercy triumphs the judgment over you. God is a good judge good judge the father has a righteous judgment against every sinner every person born on this earth every lawbreaker and everyone here has been a lawbreaker that means the father is righteous to judge you to damn your soul to hell that is the penalty of sin Romans chapter three says there's no no one good not even one we're all guilty of being lawbreakers are you with me so God's judgment to us is righteous and fair he must be punish sin if somebody committed a mass murder on your family and then you brought them to the judge and the judge said there's no punishment i'm going to let them go you wouldn't say that's a loving judge would you you would say, that's a mean and angry, that's a wicked judge. But people think that God is going to let off sinners. And they say, a God that judges sinners is not a God of love. But that is because they're twisted in their judgment and the way they think about who, what a judge should be. You see, because we understand righteousness, and our judge is righteous. Just as an earthly judge would be right to punish a mass murderer, our God is right to punish sinners who disobey and break His holy law. Now here Here's the principle is that you and I are born as lawbreakers. If you have a baby in your arm and that baby begins to get older, it will grab the watch on your arm and it will say, Mine. And you'll say, No, this is mommy's. And it will say, Mine. And listen to me if that child with that mentality was 18 years old and had strength, it would rip it off mom's hand, push her down, and walk out the door, sit in a corner and say, It was mine. If that child had the strength, are you listening to me? Because it will fight. And when it doesn't get it, it has a temper tantrum. The Bible says from the days of a child, people's hearts are filled with wicked imaginations and sinful thoughts jealousy and anger and rage and selfishness and bitterness. Well, guess what? Jesus Christ came to die for those sins. He becomes the mediator between a wicked mankind and a holy God. He sticks one hand in the gutter, the other to glory, brings them together. That's salvation, my friend. It's a righteous God being given the atonement of Jesus Christ and wicked sinners standing in Christ's righteousness and being forever forgiven, held by the hands of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the gospel. Now let me tell you something. That gospel comes to you in the mercy of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is imputed to you. You don't deserve it. It comes to you. All you have to do is receive it by faith. Now guess what? You're commanded to be merciful. Now the Bible says, you must be merciful. You can't put down the poor. You can't hate sinners and say, God damn them all to hell. The Bible says, because you've been forgiven, now you forgive. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. So what does that mean now in your life if you don't forgive your enemies? Jesus gave the parable of a man who had all of this debt. It was equivalent to a million dollars. He came to the man that he owed it to, and he said, forgive me, I can't pay it. The man said, I'm going to throw you into debtor's jail. That means you're going to be in jail until you pay it all. The man said, please have mercy. He got on his knees. He begged for mercy. The man said, I'll forgive you. I'll pardon that debt. Then the Bible goes on to say that that man began to walk away, and he found a friend who owed him five dollars just five dollars and he slapped the man the bible says this is a parable of jesus slapped the man and said pay me my five dollars fool and the man said i ain't got your five dollars and he said listen here i'm gonna put you in jail i'm gonna whip and beat you i'm gonna i'm gonna shake you till i get every penny out of you and the bible says this man pressed charges against his friend over five dollars the bible says that the Man who cleared the debt of the million dollars heard about this and called the man to him and said, I forgave you of a million dollars, of a large debt that you can never pay. And here your own friend that owe you five dollars, you put him in jail because you did not forgive. Now I'm going to require the whole debt from you and put you in the debtor's jail. And Jesus then turned to the people and said, if you don't forgive because you've been forgiven, you will stand unforgiven. I'm going to say it again. He says, if you don't forgive because you've already been forgiven then you're going to stand before Him on Judgment Day unforgiven. You see, James is teaching us one of the most important principles, I would probably say the most important, forgiveness. Learn to receive it when you sin. Learn to come to Christ and say, I know I'm a sinner. I messed up. Forgive me. And learn when people offend you, when people hurt you, when sins happen to you, when enemies abuse you. Forgive. Everybody say, forgive. Forgive. Look at it right here, because mercy, last sentence of that verse, verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. How many want mercy? Somebody say, mercy, Lord. Lord. Amen. Now we're going to get to the crux of our message today, where we get into faith and works, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? So suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is that? In this same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. Everybody say, Faith without works is dead. I want you to think about that. Does your faith have works? The example that James gives right now is he says, imagine someone comes into your church or to your house and says, man, I'm starving. I ain't got nothing to eat. I don't have a lot of clothes on. Uh, you know, I've got clothes on. I'm sorry. I just thought about that. I don't have enough clothes to stay warm. Okay. And they're hungry. And then you say to them, well, God bless you, brother. Have fun today. Just imagine you say that somebody's in your house. I'm starving. God bless you. You have a wonderful day. They would look at you like, are you nuts? I am hungry. Help me. I went over to Rachel's house. Man, I was so hungry. I'd been up for 24 hours. And you know, normally, like when somebody asks you at their house, are you hungry? Even if you're not, even if you're a little hungry, you still say, no, I'm fine. You know what I'm saying? But like, she was like, are you hungry? I'm like, yes, feed me. I need it now. And I felt so embarrassed because I'd never done that before. And I'm like, no, I'm okay, you know. But I was, like, starving. And then she, like, brought up to me, like, a plate full of food and bagels and, oh, man, these eggs with cheese. And I was just loving it. Are you all feeling me? Well, imagine if I came over and I said, I'm hungry. And she's just like, well, God bless you. I'd be like, thanks for that blessing, but I would just like a little bit of food right now. And and the idea here is that we are to share with people in need. Now, the first thing I want you to see is that he says brother or sister. And I think that's key because you and I are not supposed to have a welfare system that keeps homeless people homeless. You see, if you want to help homeless people, give them our business card and say, my pastor will talk to you and set you up with a rehabilitation program that will change your life. Because I believe if we keep giving the man who doesn't work something to eat and we continue to do that, he'll find that place under the bridge to be a little bit too comfortable. Are you with me? I mean, I remember one time I went out to Wicker Park and uh, down that Wacker Drive, rather, on Wacker Drive, Lower Wacker Drive, and I thought I was going to be seeing, you know, like poor homeless people, you know, struggling along. I went down there. These guys had cocks and twin-size beds and cardboard houses. And literally, we had like this bag of food. And I was like, can I give this to you? And I just thought they were going to be like, you know, like eat it up. They're like, oh, let me see what you got. No, I already have some of that. Let's take a little soup. You guys have ketchup. You know, I'm being serious. Like they were like asking for condiments. They were like, like we were waiting on them. And I began to ask them, you know, how many people come down here? I'm like, oh, yeah, people come down here two and three times a day. And they give us all these clothes. So I think the way to help homeless people in America In India, it's a different thing. I mean, they're treated like animals out there. They literally just sleep on the floor. Some of them are naked. I mean, it's a little different out there. But in America, where we got missions and programs like Teen Challenge, the way to love them is say, get on up. I'm going to take you to a program. Amen? But what's it talking about here is a brother or a sister. This is somebody that you know that's in your life, and they're saying to you, I have a need. It's not saying that you have to say, okay, here's my credit card, max it out, have fun. You just want a shopping spree. But what it's saying is do well for them. Maybe all you have is some ramen noodles, amen? You just pull out the ramen noodles and say, hey, this is what I got. Let's eat it together. You know, maybe all you have is a sweatshirt, and you just say, okay, here's some help. I mean, I'm just going to give you what I have. Maybe all you have is a couch for a couple days. But what is the lesson we're learning here is that faith, has to have deeds. If we say, I love people, we have to show it with our actions. Now keep going here with verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. You see, somebody will say that. Well, maybe faith and deeds are two different things. You have faith, I have deeds. Now look at this. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God, good, even the demons believe that and Shudder. Oh, see, now it's going to get personal. Somebody says, type, but it's right. When we go around, people will say, I believe in God. I believe in God. I'm going to heaven. Guess what? The demons believe in God and they want to go to heaven. But they're still going to hell. Why? Because they don't have saving faith. Everybody write that down. Saving faith. That's what you're going to learn in James right now, is that saving faith is faith plus deeds. It's not just saying, I believe in God. It's saying, I believe in doing something about it. Let me ask you a question. Let's just talk about faith in faith. If I say I believe in Peter Pan, does that make me go to Never Never Land? Hello. If I say I'm going to win the lottery, I'm going to win the lottery. I'm going to win the lottery. I want to win the lottery lottery. Do you want to win the lottery? I want to win the lottery. Okay, does that mean I'm going to win the lottery? Okay, so people who are sitting at home going, I'm going to heaven. I wish I want to go to heaven. I think I'm going to heaven. I believe in God. There's a heaven, I'm going to heaven. Does that necessarily mean they're going to heaven? Because even the demons believe that. So, what is James teaching us? He is saying right here now in verse 20, You foolish man. I like the way he said, You fool. Man, you foolish man. I'm just trying to say, You fool. That's all I want to say. I pity the fool like Mr. T. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and, everybody say and, say his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And by scripture, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. He was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Everybody say faith and works. You see, here's the thing. You may believe pornography is wrong, but what are you doing about it? See, it gets quiet when pastor starts preaching like that. See, you you may believe that uh, having sex before marriage is wrong, young people, but what are you doing about it? Older people, you might believe it's right to tithe, but what are you doing about it? Come on, somebody. You might know that it's right to read your Bible and pray, but what are you doing about it? You see, I could sit down and tell you everything that a trainer knows like Birdo, but I don't have a six-pack like Birdo. Are you listening? And I thank God heaven ain't dependent on me having a six-pack. Because I've been a talker and not a doer for many a years. How many know about that diet talking? I was looking at Ricky the other day, and Ricky was just saying to me, I'm not even going to talk about anymore. Because we all talk about Every one of us guys will get around and be like, look at my belly. Look at my belly. I'm not feeling right. Look at me. And they were like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to join a gym. I'm going to jump rope. And then like two weeks later, like we actually gained weight. Think about this spiritually. People saying it all the time. Well, I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do this. I'm going to help the poor. I'm going to evangelize. And they're doing nothing but probably getting worse. You see, Jesus is looking for people that have faith and deeds. I am so happy today that you have faith. I really am because atheism is even more of a fool's folly than having faith with uh, deeds and not faith. Are you listening to me? It's better for you to have faith and no deeds and then to have no faith at all. So at least you're on your way down the journey. Amen? You came to church this morning. You said, I at least have faith that something is there that God is there that possibly this can change my life. Okay, that's wonderful. But now you have to take that faith to the next level and you have to add words. To that, you have to do something about it. You see, demons who believe in God don't keep God's commands. You see, demons don't do those things, and that's the example now of the negative. But what's the positive? Abraham, everybody say, Abraham was in the Bible, and God commanded him to do something. God said to Abraham, whose name was Abram at that time, Father, his name was Abram, in Hebrew he was changed to Abraham later, Father of many nations. He says, Abram, leave your family of Ur and the Chaldeans and go to the Jerusalem, the promised land that I am going to give to you. Abraham said, Yes, Lord, I will obey. He left Ur, the people of the Chaldeans. He goes to the promised land. There's nobody even in the promised land. He's picking up sand and God says as many sand of grains of sand as your holiness are going to be your descendants. And he did that by faith. And the Bible says that he was justified by what he did with his faith. Are you with me today? Now put yourself in Abraham's shoes. God is speaking to every one of you. And he's saying these are my commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Put the word of God in your heart. Speak to me in prayer. Serve me in evangelism and discipleship. Give of your tithes and offering to the church. There's about 150 New Testament commands found in the Bible. Are you with me? If you want a list of them, email me this week, and I'll give you a list of things that God's asking all of us to do. And it's pretty simple. I mean, you might miss one every now and then. God is gracious. Hallelujah. But they're pretty simple. Love God. Love people. Go to church. You know, do good things in your life. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as, as unto the church. You understand these are the commands of the Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants you to do something. Okay, look at your other neighbor and say, he's really talking to you. God wants you to do something. This is really for you guys today. Amen? It's not just for the people you're going to talk to today and say, hey, I went to church. What did your pastor talk about? No, it's about you right now. What are you going to do with the faith that's in your heart? I want everyone to stand with me today. We're going to end down in prayer. Band, would you come forward? Let's go through what we learned today in the book of James. Praise God. Number one, we learned not to have favoritism. What does that mean? That we shouldn't come here trying to dress to impress. Is dress comfortable and appropriate. Don't look down on the poor and exalt the rich. What else did we learn today? We learned that we should not Go on breaking God's commands by treating better, better uh, treating ourselves better than how we treat others. And then in closing, what did we learn? The most important lesson of today, which is add to your faith works. Add to your faith works. Do me a favor, Andrew. Go ahead and put up our website and our beliefs page and uh, grab out our ministries when you get there all the way down to where it says ministries. I want to challenge everybody to be a doer today. The Bible is full of doers. Do you know that right now they say that Christians in America profess their faith but do nothing about it? They say that right now there's about 70% of America that will say, I believe in God and Jesus. But they do nothing about it. I want to show you some things right here that you can do about it. Acts chapter 242. It's right on our website. This is the vision of our church. It says, they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. How do I interpret apostles' teaching? Be discipled. If you're called to ministry, join the Bible college. And to fellowship. What's fellowship? Fellowship's hanging out with uh, Ishmael on Thursday nights if you're adults. Going over to the Carrasco small group. You see, these are things that the church did in the book of Acts. And these are things that we need to do. We need to have more than just a faith saying, I wish I go to heaven. I wish I'm a good Christian. No, here's what you do. Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. Get a part of fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Come to prayer meetings. Every service, there's a prayer meeting. Forty-five minutes before the service, there's a prayer meeting. Start coming to prayer meetings. Start praying at your home. We teach in our 201 discipleship. Try to make an hour every day to give to God in prayer. You work for eight. You sleep for eight. What are you doing with the other eight? Come on, you got a third of your life that you're going to give an account to for God. Oh, well, God, I always had to get my hair and nails done. And then I had to get real good at, you know, this video game I was playing. And then, of course, I had to be a part of the basketball club, you know, because I had to keep up with all that. And then I had to, you know, go to the gym. Come on, make an hour a day for the Lord. It says they devoted themselves to these things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, prayer, breaking of bread. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders, miraculous signs were done by the apostles. You see, God wants to pour out His Spirit here. When we're praying, tears are coming down in people's eyes. That's showing repentance. We pray for sick people. We've seen them heal. We've seen evil spirits cast out. We've seen uh, people who've smoked and been addicted to things get set free. We, we've seen miracles here, and we've seen the awe of God. where you just sit back and go, Oh man, woo, hallelujah! Come on, somebody. I want to see that more in church. You see, faith without deeds is dead. So I want to believe God for awesome things. You can believe God too. God can change your family. Wouldn't that just put your family in awe if the most wicked sinner in your family got saved and everybody was like, oh man, awesome. I'm glad brother ain't stealing out my sock drawer anymore. He got saved. I'm glad Cousin Flacco ain't in the gangs no more. Praise God. I'm glad Gary ain't cutting himself, listening to Cradle of Filth anymore. Praise God. Some alternative person, God say, come on, you see, God could do a miracle in your family. He says right there that the awe was in the place, that wonders and miracles were being done. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Now hold somebody's hand next to you. Come on, say, you're my brother, you're my sister. Say, what's mine is yours what's yours is mine come on can I drive your truck today brother come on can I catch a ride home with you just keep holding hands for a little bit look at each other's eyes single people be appropriate right now but just look at them and say I love you man see don't that feel good I love you sister thank you for letting your house be mine that day Come on, brother, I shared my bed with you in India. Wasn't that fun? We were sharing beds together. Because there ain't nothing wrong <laughs> with two men sharing a bed in India. I would wake up and he would just be all snuggly-wuggly next to me. I'd be like, that's my brother right there. And then if you don't think that was weird enough, we were in a king-sized bed. And Pastor the pastor of India literally is like this big. He weighs like 60 pounds. He slept in the bed with us too. three three pastors all up in the bed we just love Jesus amen you can let go of the hand thank you God bless you come on we're together verse 45 selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need this is community service do you know that a man gave us the van that we use for transportation do you know that when you give your tithes and offerings that allows me to always help people Anytime somebody has a need in our church, we're always able to help them. We'll give them some groceries. We'll give them a ride. We'll sit down with them, help them put their life back together. You see, because people are giving. Verse 46. Here's my dream right here, by the way. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. I can't wait till every day there's something going on. Not in a way where you feel burdened. I'm not talking like, oh man, I gotta go to church again. It's like four in the morning. No, I'm talking like where there's just always something going on that you enjoy. You know, that eventually we get a gym. It's like, yeah, man, I'm gonna do my basketball at the church. I'm gonna hang out with some of the inner city kids we got going on there and hang out and play some ball. Or yeah, I'm gonna do prayer this morning. I'm gonna meet some of the men there. We're gonna have prayer, some breakfast. Yeah, ladies, we're gonna meet there at the church and we're gonna talk about what's going on, and we're gonna let somebody babysit our kids right there in the children's center, and we're gonna hang out. My mother got happy right there. That one's for you. See, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's what we call small groups. Like I said, one is meeting at Ishmael's house on Thursday. One meets at the cross goes on Friday for the adults. Youth have small groups every other Sunday. uh, Crossover has it every other Friday. You see, when we just open up our homes and say, come on over. Last night we opened up our home. The students were there doing their college work till like 2 in the morning. You see, that's life. Everybody say we live in the good life. See, we may not have, you know, MTV cribs, but what we have, we share. Do you get that? That's important, amen? That's a part of what we're here to do. Verse 47, praising God. And enjoying the favor of all the people. That's why we call Metro Praise. Because we're supposed to be meeting together and praising God. Enjoying the favor. That means people like us. They want to be around us. And the Bible says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the Bible says that, you know, you're going to get saved, Bamboo. Come on. And you're going to get added to our number. Amen. And then we're going to come on over to your house. Just like you used to come to my house. And we're going to become a family. That's how the Bible says we grow together. Maybe I, maybe everybody here can't go to Augie's house, but somebody can. Maybe everybody can't come to mine, but, they, but the ones that can, can. And we all just start to spread that love wherever we go. See, faith without these types of works is dead. So the challenge to Metro Praise from the book of James today is are we going to be a church that meets one time a week and just talks about God like he's Peter Pan, like he's just Santa Claus. Like, oh yeah, he's up there, he's cool, he's doing his thing. Or are we going to do something about it? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you today for bringing us together. I pray right now, Lord, that you just begin to bless us, Father God, with the spirit of unity. God, I pray that Lord will love each other the way you loved us. That God, we won't prefer ourself above others. That God will become unified. Just right now where you're at, I just want you to pray that God will give you that heart of love right now. Everybody, come on, God, I want to work for you. I want to do things in your kingdom. I don't have to do an altar call. My wife already did one. So if you came here and you're not saved, this is how you live saved. Come on, just start praying. Say, God, help me do these things. Some of you right now don't got to start one thing except just show up somewhere else. You don't have to start a small group. Just go to one that's already going. You don't have to start an evangelism team. Just find one that's already going. You don't have to start a prayer ministry. Just find one. Come on, you can do this. Pray. Say, God, give me a heart to serve. Give me a heart to love you. God, I want faith and works. Faith and works. Now the second thing, ask the Lord to give you strength to keep all His commands. Maybe you came here today, you say, I love God, I'm doing my best, but, you know, there's these areas I struggle with. Come on, God is here to change your heart. Just say, Lord, change me. God, make us holy, Lord. Make us a church that loves you. Jesus. Jesus. Now, if you could, just please uh, just hold the person's hand next to you one last time today as we get ready to pray before we leave. And I want you just to pray for your neighbor. Maybe you don't even know their name. Just call them your neighbor and say, God bless my neighbor. Maybe you brought them today as a friend with you. Just say, God bless them. Lord, do a good work in their life. Save their family. Let's pray for one another.